0: Sinners plunged beneath that flood for uh-huh.
1: Moses, trained in the finest schools in Egypt, math, science, military technique, sent running to escape Pharaoh, choosing not to become the next Pharaoh of Egypt, but instead to cast his lot with God's people. That decision caused him to flee for his life to Moab where he herded a small herd of sheep on the far side of the mountain. For forty years, for forty years in the stillness of the desert, his heart is filled with unbelief, with doubt, with fear. He sees the Shekinah glory of God burning a bush that does not burn. He decides to go see, and as he walks up to it, God calls to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, take your shoes off. Where you're standing is holy ground. And then God gives him the command, after 40 years in the wilderness, go back to Egypt and deliver my people from Pharaoh and bring them out. Now the children of Israel at this point are more than two million people. This has not ever happened in history. But this is God's command, and Egypt is the most powerful nation in the world, the most sophisticated nation in the world. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I want to share this story with you. <laughs> It just reaches my heart. I want it to reach your heart today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that every person listening right now to this broadcast would be touched by your Holy Spirit, and you would call them out of their Egypt, that you would call them out of their place of bondage and set them free. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now Moses comes with Aaron as his spokesman. And all of the elders of Israel who are very happy that God has finally heard their cries. Now many of them are are utter pagans. They worship the gods of Egypt but they know they have some recollection of the mighty God of heaven. And when Moses shows up with his signs, they're very excited. They don't know how the deliverance will come. And immediately the first thing Pharaoh does is slam them with extra work and then beat them for not performing it properly. And they are embittered against Moses. They don't want to talk to him. They curse him. He has made their life even harder. This is a battle between the emissary of God and the embassy of the devil. Between Moses and Pharaoh. Moses, the man of light. Pharaoh, the man of darkness. And so God decides that he will enter this battle with the Egyptians by touching their country with plagues, horrible plagues, plagues that utterly devastate the economy and the life of the nation of Egypt. The first sign, Moses has air and pour water out on the ground, and it becomes blood, and the Nile becomes blood. And the magicians for Pharaoh try to do the same thing, and all they can do is increase the blood. They can't cause it to go away. Blood is the sign of judgment, of death. And God is warning them right now, right up front, at the get-go, either listen to what I say to you and obey my word, or you will face death. He blows it off, Pharaoh does, and God sends frogs. Thousands and thousands and thousands of frogs in the house, on the bed, on the table where they ate, croaking, jumping, filthy frogs. Now, frogs in the scripture are always looked upon as unclean spirits. And that's what Egypt is. It's a filthy, filthy place morally. Now, an interesting thing begins to happen. As these plagues will come upon Pharaoh, he will give way just a little bit, and he will ask Moses to pray for him that the frogs will be removed. His magicians cannot remove them. And the frogs all die. They don't go jumping back in the water. They die right where they're at. And they're a stinking mess to clean up. So people are going around scooping up dead frogs into baskets. And the stench is unbearable. The next thing Moses does, by the power of the hand of God... He touches the ground and it becomes gnats and lice, considered by the Egyptians to be utterly unclean. So God is bringing judgments upon the land that emphasize their uncleanness. The fourth plague flies. Satan is Lord of the Flies. So God sends a whole host of... Millions of flies, swarms of flies, and insects, biting, stinking insects that go in the house, that go everywhere. The Bible says the country was ruined, their homes were ruined with insects. Again, Pharaoh asks Moses to pray. And God takes the insects away. This time, the insects however are not in the land of goshen they're only in egypt the fifth plague god touches the livestock and a disease breaks out and the livestock die their donkeys their camels they lose their livestock again in the land of goshen where the children of israel live not one Not one cow, not one donkey, not one camel dies. He even sends inspectors to find out whether God takes the livestock in Goshen. The sixth plague is touching them physically. It's boils. Boils that break out on their skin. It says the magicians could not could not even stand before Moses because the boils were so bad on their feet. Have you ever had a carbuncle or a boil? The infection, the fever, the pain, the pus. It's a mess. People die with this. Again, he prays, then God sends hail and lightning, huge hailstones that kill people. He warns, bring all of your slaves in under cover. They'd already gotten more livestock. Bring your livestock in. If they're left in the field, they will die. These huge hailstones will kill them. And that's exactly what happened. Now, let's be clear. This was not a new plague every day. This stretched out over a period of time. And in each case, the same request was made. Release my eldest son. Release my people. That they could go into the wilderness for a three-day journey. That they could offer sacrifices. That they could serve me and they could hold a festival with me. Now, yesterday, I made note that this is the way of salvation, the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice, the willingness to serve Jesus, and then the, the, heart, the, the celebration. And with the prodigal son, He came to a census. He repented. He went home. He went home to serve his dad as a servant. And they had a party. Over and over, that's the model. Now, we in the modern America want to go to the party side and forget about the sacrifice and forget about the service. It doesn't work that way. The eighth plague that fell on Egypt was one that is feared in that part of the world, but this was worse than they had ever even imagined it could be, and that was the plague of locusts. They came in black in color, and they ate every green leaf. Every blade of grass was consumed. The land was literally stripped The hail and the lightning had broken the trees down, the bushes, the barley, and these locusts came now and cleaned up. There was nothing green left. And finally, there was one more plague that that came as a regular course, and that was the plague of darkness. And for three days, you could not see your hand in front of your face. There was not a ray of light that would penetrate this darkness. It was the heaviest supernatural darkness these people had ever experienced. You had to stay at home. If you went out, you could get lost. It's like being blind. You couldn't see. And of course, the darkness was saying, Pharaoh, you're in darkness. You've refused the light. I have offered you every opportunity to obey. You have utterly refused. Now, Pharaoh used the same logic that is used by the devil today. The first piece of logic that he used was, look, you don't have to go three days into the desert to offer your sacrifices. We're happy to have you sacrifice right here in Egypt. In fact, stay at home where you're at and just offer your sacrifices and gather and pray and praise and do whatever you want to do, but stay right here. I'll give you three days to do that. The devil still comes and makes that argument. You don't have to separate yourself from the world. You can have the world and you can have Jesus too. No, you can't. Do you know where the three days' journey would take them? Well, three days' journey into the wilderness took them to Piharath, right at the edge of the Red Sea, and on the third day they are crossing the Red Sea. And when the Red Sea closes behind them, Pharaoh and his army has been destroyed, and they are shut into the desert. That's where God wants us. He calls us to be separated out from the world, from the wickedness of the world. He doesn't want us participating in the things of darkness, the works of flesh, the lust of our heart, the the greed, the jealousy, the ambitious desire for power. God doesn't want us involved in this rat race. He's calling us to come out of it. He's calling us to come into the spirit realm and to leave the physical realm. Now, what do I mean? I have a spirit. And that spirit functions to control my actions in this world. My hand is subject to my spirit. It doesn't go around breaking things or hitting things. The hand can do that when it receives the command from my spirit. God is a spirit. There is a realm that is more real than our physical realm. It's where God abides. And for right now, we don't see where God abides it's more real than the physical world is because it can't be destroyed. It lasts forever. God is calling us as a people in our spirit to come out to him, to join our spirit with the Holy Spirit so that we no longer walk in the way of the flesh in this world with wickedness and anger and bitterness and pornography and fornication and ambition, all of the things of the flesh. He's saying, come out of that. I want to put a new spirit in you, a spirit of peace, a spirit of love, a spirit of compassion, a spirit of gentleness, a spirit of of great strength to stand for what is right. So Pharaoh says, look, Be right here in the world. Be right here with us Egyptians. Go ahead. You can be a follower of the Lord God of heaven and and still do your work for us. Moses said, no. We've got to take a three-day journey into the wilderness. The second thing the devil always comes and says is, look, okay, you can go. But leave your wife and your children here with me. In other words, be as religious as you want to be. Leave your family to me, Pharaoh says. No, Moses says. We all go together. We all walk together as a family into the kingdom of God. That's a vital import. Because if you leave your wife and your child to Pharaoh, he'll take them from you. he will steal them. And you'll be left with nothing. Now, the third argument that he always brings is leave your money and your personal possessions behind. In other words... He's saying, look, you can go, you can take your wife, and you can take your kids, but leave your livestock here. Leave your possessions here. So in other words, don't take your money to Jesus. Well, Moses said no. I take my wife. I take my children. I take my livestock. I take everything I have and I follow the Lord God of heaven. That's where we have to be today. Are you willing to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to take that three-day trip into the into the desert. Are you willing to give your life to Jesus? I hear people say, Oh, Pastor, I, I'll come by church, but I don't have time for a prayer meeting. I don't have time for, for Christian service. I have just enough time. I'll make time. I'll come and, and sit in worship and listen. I don't have time to do much more than that. Well, that's always Satan's lie to us. The bondage of Pharaoh and the many long hours of work that he loads on us. I don't have time for Jesus. I don't have time to together with God's people. I don't. I don't have time to even be with my own family. If you're saying things like this, there is something desperately wrong in your walk with Jesus. That's not how he operates. He gives us time. And we all have the same amount of time. The question is, how will we use that time? Is it money that we worship? Is it success that we desire? Is it a lifestyle that we want? Or do we want to be servants of Jesus Christ? Do we want to serve him? You cannot serve both God and mammon. You have to serve one or the other. You'll love one and you'll hate the other. So, now we come to the tenth plague. The tenth plague is the one of utter separation and devastation. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. This is Exodus, the eleventh chapter. After that, he will let you go from there. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. So for the first nine plagues, he's been hanging on and bargaining. Now on the 10th plague, God says, he will drive you out. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people now why were they to ask for gold and silver precious precious stones why were they to ask for clothing utensils because they had worked for almost nothing year after year as slaves for these people and now god is going to empty their homes as they pour out themselves in payment to the children of Israel. God is not going to bring them out empty-handed. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is in her hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. Now, I want you to notice something. It's easy for it to just slip right by, but don't let it slip by you. Chapter 11, verse 4, So Moses said, This is what the Lord says, About midnight I will go throughout Egypt every firstborn son in Egypt will die. Well, it's who is in Egypt. The children of Israel are in Egypt. The Egyptians are in Egypt, along with many other nationalities. And God is saying the eldest son, the firstborn son, will die at midnight. That's the firstborn son of the Egyptians, and it is also the firstborn son of the children of Israel. They will all die. Now, they are all deserving of death. They have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They have all been in utter rebellion against the Most High. They have sinned sexually, morally. They've sinned with their hearts, with violence. They have worshipped the false gods of Egypt, Ra, and others. All the Egyptians and the children of Israel have done this. So, what's God going to do? That's the dilemma. Let me read this for you in the New Testament. I'm going to turn there quickly for you. I should have marked it, but I didn't. But I know right where to go. In the book of Romans, listen to this. This is the book of Romans written by the Apostle Paul, chapter 3. I'll begin with Verse 9, we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their way. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that Whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are made righteous freely by his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So Moses is saying, children of Israel, Egyptians, the plague of God is going to take the eldest son of everyone. Even the firstborn of a cow will die on that night. We're forced to face the reality of our total unrighteousness. Now, this description that I've read for you in the book of Romans, the third chapter, verses 11 through 18, is a very accurate description of every person on the face of the earth. But, for one thing, the work of the Holy Spirit as he has been calling you to follow him. He's been working in your life, saying, don't do that. Part of the time you have withheld your hand, at other times you have rushed right on by the Holy Spirit, and you have done what you wanted to do. This morning in the early hours, about 4 a.m. as I was praying, I was overwhelmed with grief. As I looked and how my heart has been through the years and recognize the utter depth of the sin, of the inner man, of the old man. How easy it is to lie, to cheat, to gossip. How easy it is to let the lust of the flesh rise up and carry us away I'm not proud of many of the things that I have said and done, but particularly many of the things that I have thought. I am not proud of that. I am desperately ashamed, and I have brought that to the throne of God, and I have repented, and I've asked him to totally destroy in my life that old man of sin. Now, many Christians today don't believe that's possible, But that's what the scriptures command, and so if the Word of God commands it, it is so. I don't care what people say. I care what the Word of God says. And so I have wept many times before the Lord over that deep, hidden wickedness that can come out at such unexpected times, like the pastor up in New England he was accustomed to, to cursing in private. And one day, one of his church members asked if he could come and give him a hand that day because they had to unload a boat with lobsters. And so he went over to give him a hand unloading the boat. And as he grabbed one of the lobster pots and pulled it off, that lobster reached up and nailed him, pinched his finger hard, and a stream of curse words came unbidden from his mouth. And everybody there was utterly shocked beyond belief. How could the pastor curse like a sailor? And then he caught himself and in utter embarrassment repented before the men. That inner man will come out if it is not destroyed by the Spirit of the living God. And it comes out at the most unexpected times and the most embarrassing times. But the Holy Spirit is striving with our hearts. The wages of sin is death. Adam and Eve won sin and they died. God will not tolerate sin. And so here we are. We are are caught between justice and mercy. Justice and mercy need to kiss. But right now, they stand in utter opposition to each other and God has pronounced his judgment of death on the children of Israel, and upon the Egyptians. The eldest son will die. God is bringing judgment on all of the gods of Egypt because he is the Lord. Now, what's he going to do? Well, he does something that is so... Incredibly awesome that I don't know how to even talk about it. The Lord God of heaven calls them to what is called the Passover. Now, what is the Passover? The word Passover means, in the Hebrew, it is Pesach. Pesach, it means Passover. But what does Pesach mean? It literally means to spread the wings of God over a person. The Pesach of God. The wing of God. Coming under his wing for protection. Well, how do we do that? We have all been wicked and sinful people, men and women, boys and girls. And there is a sentence of death. The wages of sin are death, or is death. (laughs) It's called the Passover, the Pesach. They are instructed to take a lamb, a year old, without defect, a sheep or goat, and they are to slay that lamb, and they're to take the blood, and they're to apply it to both sides of their doors and to the lentil above the door. Now, they slay the lamb right at the entrance to the house, so there's also blood on the floor, on the ground, outside the house. Now, on the night of the Passover, the scriptures say, On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be the sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So let's take one family and let's say that dad slays the lamb, prepares everything but does not apply the lamb's blood to the sides of the door or to the lentil above the door. And the angel comes, will he slay that man's eldest son? Yes, of course he will. It's not the slaying of the lamb, it's the application of the blood. So the blood is applied, and as the blood is applied, It is a sign to the destroying angel that this house is under the Pesach of God and is not to be destroyed. Now, some Egyptians put blood on their sides of the... When they were sent out of Egypt, they went with the children of Israel, and their eldest did not die. It was the blood, the sign of the blood that said this family has taken a place of refuge under the wing of God. The Pesach of God. Now what's necessary? This is how you are to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Pesach. So they're ready to leave Egypt. All of these things are a shadow that we could understand what it means to walk with Jesus Christ. We're to learn the ways of God by reading the words in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. But then we come... To the book of Romans. Let me read this scripture for you. Romans, the first chapter, verse 16. Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power or dunamis dynamite of God for the salvation of everyone who believes first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since they, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain. So in other words, Paul is saying in the beginning of Romans, look, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it it is literally the power of God to bring you under the pasach of God, under the wing of God. And he does that by the shed blood on Calvary. Jesus was that lamb slain as an atonement for our sin. And just as... The eldest was safe in Egypt because there was blood on the door and above the door. You're safe when you leave Egypt and take that three-day journey. And the journey begins when you make the decision, I'm going to escape the bondage of my sin. I'm going to be free. When you make that decision, you're not saved. It's the beginning of salvation. Salvation is a process, it's not a one time event. It is a process. So you make the decision that you are going to leave the wickedness of the world, and the Pesach of God goes over you, and you're held safely. Now you've got to take that three-day journey into the wilderness where you cut off everything of wickedness, where you turn off the world's entertainment, where you turn aside from the work of the flesh, the lust, the filthy movies, the, the video games, the violence, you turn off the television, you... You take very specific actions. You cut off the gambling. You cut off the drinking. You cut off the drugging. In other words, you begin, you, under the blessing of God and by the power of God, you begin to withdraw yourself three days into the wilderness where you have separated yourself from the wickedness of this world. That's the beginning of the school of the Holy Spirit. You enroll in that school when you say, I know what is right. I've not been doing it. I've been sinning against God. I'm tired of sinning against Him. I know I've got to get serious with Him. And now I'm going to go all the way because I plan on entering heaven. No one who walks in sin will enter heaven as long as they walk in that sin. I know. The lying prophets will say, oh, just give your heart to Jesus, say a simple sinner's prayer, and you're saved, and everything's cool. And you can live in the world, you can still walk in your sin, you're God's kid, you can't be lost, they're lying to you. Nowhere does the scriptures teach this. It is of vital import that you recognize that you live by faith, and that God makes you righteous. And if you go to that third chapter again in Romans, let me read this for you. Verse 23. This is Romans, the third chapter, verse 23. For all have sinned. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And sin deserves death. But then in verse 24, he says, And our made righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Your life can be redeemed by Jesus Christ shedding his blood on Calvary. He has extended grace to you. He's extended his mercy to you. Listen to this. The sixth chapter, verse 11. Romans 6, verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. In other words, you do not continue sinning. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Absolutely no. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you mo- the one to whom you obey, whether a slave to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience which leads to innocence, righteousness, dicasune in the Greek. But thanks be to God that though. You used to be slaves to sin. You wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. And you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness or innocence. God does that in us. Verse 22. But now that you've been set free from sin, have you been set free from your sin? If you have not been set free, you're still in Egypt. Are you going to leave Egypt? The world? The Pharaoh? The bondage? The misery? Come on. Leave. Appeal to God, to the Pesach of God. Ask God to extend his wing to cover over you and make you safe while you flee Egypt, while you cut off all of the sin. One brother said to me last night, Pastor, I'm having to cut off everything. My football jerseys. My love of all the sports. God's telling me cut it off. There's no righteousness in it. He said, I'm having to repent to people that I've held grudges against. God is dealing to the very bottom of my heart. And every unclean thing has to go. Yes! And the Pesach of God is covering him while he goes through that process. But but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. Remember the word of the Lord in Hebrews? Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. The result is eternal life for the wages of sin is death. The wage of sin is death. It was death in the Garden of Eden and it's death now. The power of God comes in Jesus Christ through the Pesach, the blood of Jesus. That comes and gives us the power to be set free from sin. Romans 6, verse 18, you've been set free from sin. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're out of time. Let me pray with you. Lord, I've honestly shared the story of the Pesach of the covering wing of God, the sacrifice of the Lamb that saved the eldest of all who would apply the blood. Lord Lord Jesus, that blood you shed on Calvary covers us now if we have determined to leave Egypt and take that journey to enter the school of the Holy Spirit and be taught how to walk in innocence and righteousness before you. I thank you that it's not by hard work. I thank you that righteousness is a free gift given to us, that you change us and make us into new people. Lord, thank you. I ask your blessing now, Lord God of heaven, on every person listening, that you would soften and draw their hearts, that they would take the journey. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to take just a minute, and I want to pray another prayer. I was contacted by one of our sisters who asked if I would pray, and I will right now. Lord, there is great danger to America. This whole impeachment mess, our Congress and our executive branches in bitter conflict, Lord, I pray that you will rule over this and that you will set America on a course for revival. Whatever that looks like, would you do what is necessary to bring forth your glory in Washington, D.C.? Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you rule and you will have your way. And I ask, almighty God, that you would rescue the precious Nigerian people who are being hit with genocide. The Christians are being killed by the hundreds and hundreds and thousands burned homes, businesses, refugees, or dead and raped. Lord, would you move with power in Nigeria to bring forth your glory and to protect your people and to deliver them from this wicked, wicked president. Lord, I pray for your people who are being persecuted. I pray, Lord, for the babies who are to be aborted. I pray, Lord, you'll come with mighty power and lift up a standard of righteousness in this nation's capital. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to hear from you. Are you enjoying this series on Moses? Would you help cover the cost? The month is going by quickly, and this week has been a very slow week. Thank you, Leslie. I received your offering, and I stand with you. I love Jesus. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com or mail to me The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.